Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome listeners to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Our topic of discussion today may seem like it has a fairly straightforward answer, but it has been debated and fiercely contended over for centuries, and that is the validity of the Bible. Can it be trusted? Yeah, this is such an important episode because I think many people at some point have wondered why the Bible is considered so special. So this episode, we're going to be looking at what the Bible is, why and if we can even trust it, and what we should do with that information. Yeah, and and we called the, the episode, Can the Bible Be Trusted? But to me, the answer, of course, is yes. It's yeah. such a simple thing. And so maybe even more appropriately, it's like why the Bible can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I want to say that I know for some of us, this is a question that you might feel that you don't need the answer to. You know, I remember growing up the saying that God said it, so I believe it. But as a Christian, this is a question that you need to know the answer to, and you need to have the foundation for your faith. And I hope you realize that this episode can be a fantastic tool in your witnessing satchel. Okay, Zelda. (laughs) Uh, uh, Excuse me, sir. Uh, Zelda was the princess. Link is the adventurer. Okay. Um, Your witnessing or your apologetic arsenal. Um, Because times are going to come up where people are going to ask you hard questions and you want to be able to give every man an answer to contend for the faith, as Jude said. Yes, yeah. And in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that you have. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today is is real hard facts that um, back up in a very tangible way why we believe what we believe. Yeah, and I want to say that um, as we get going, a lot of what we do is maybe more a... a uh, editorial on what we've observed in the Bible and and how that applies. Now, this podcast is going to be more of a presentation. And so we want to uh, just first and foremost mention that all of the information that we're getting is from reliable sources that can be quoted, or we can send you the information or send you the links. A lot of what I found was online. And again, it's not from like <laughs> cheap websites or anything yeah. like that. It's it's reputable um, scholars and things yeah, like that. It's not BibleFringe.com, you know. <laughs> yeah, 123BibleForMe.com. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, exactly. It's, it's um, reputable. And so if you need need that, then, then, you know, we want to be able to, to arm you with that, or we want to be able to supply that for you. And, uh, you can always request that from us and we will send you links or, um, sources. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be compiling a lot of information here that, um, a lot of very smart people, much smarter than us have already done the groundwork. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not even a real word. (laughs) Very nice. Um, Okay. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go, and I don't know how long some of you are going to stay with this. And so I hope that you remain with us through the end of the episode. But if you're only going to take one thing away from this, I'd like you to remember these numbers. This will give you a great foundation if you're only going to listen to the first five or ten minutes of this episode. Uh, Remember these numbers. It's almost like a combination lock. 66, 40, 1503. 
Let me say those numbers again. Like you're getting a decipher code. Uh, we're activating a sleeper agent. <laughs> it's 66, 40, 1500, three. What do those numbers uh, mean to you, Stephen? Well, 66 is the number of books in the Bible. Three different languages that it was written in over a period of 1500 years on three different continents. And 40 known authors. Oh, yeah. I missed one. My bad. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I uh, wouldn't have cracked that safe. 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different authors over a course of 1,500 years on three different continents and in three different languages. Yeah. I mean, pile all that together and really think about it. How does that come together and form a consistent manuscript? Mm-hmm. Uh, form a consistent canon of what we rely on as the Word of God. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the Bible, we've, I said it in another episode, but it's not a book, it's a library. Mm -hmm. And that says it right there, three different languages, three different continents, 1500 years. These were different books written by different cultures, people, and it all comes together as we're going to see in one idea, one certainty, one truth. Yeah. That is amazing. It is. And you think about some of the authors, some were lay people, some were doctors, some were prime ministers. Oh, yeah. Some were sojourners, some were, you know, it's such a variety. Yeah. Of. And just think about this. I mean, everybody, you know, has a job. Think about your workplace. Think about the manager and then some of the really um, bottom of the totem pole people. I don't mean that as an offense, but but think about how they talk and how they look at the workplace. They're, everybody looks at things so differently from a management position to mm-hmm. a. We've got kings, fishermen, musicians, peasants, people that should have no common thought process. Yeah. All writing these books that have one idea. And they're coming up with answers for like, who is God? What is he like? Oh, yeah. What does he want to say to us? I mean, <laughs> some of the answers to some of the most philosophical questions ever. And ever. it's all, yeah. And it lines up. And, and I dare you go around your neighbors, you know, just maybe the four or five neighbors that surround where you live and ask them those questions and see how many line up uh, with yeah. uh, the similar answers. Well, yeah. And even take it this far. Think about like medical journals from the 1950s to now. Oh, that's a scientific field where people should be thinking pretty close on the same lines. Yeah. You're not going to be using information from the 50s to do things now. No. And that's in a scientific field. That'd be scary. Yeah. <laughs> I think doctors were still smoking cigarettes during surgeries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people were taking radium. But <laughs> We're going to have to bleed him. Yeah. <laughs> but the that's point. a little farther back. Okay. <laughs> Bloodletting. Okay. Um, but the point in all of this is it, it truly is is amazing that over such a long period of time, uh, differing people that should share nothing in common, they came to to the one idea, one certainty, one truth. Mm. So it's amazing. It is. And I want to point out, not that we're attacking any other um, religions, Mm. but I want to say this is when you're asking why does the Bible stand out differently than maybe let's say like the Book of Mormon or even the Quran is the Bible is harmonious. And it's historically supported. Mm -hmm. And other religious texts, they don't hold up. There's nothing that the Book of Mormon has said is historically true or prophetic that has come to pass. And there's nothing that's been proven um, that they found archaeologically that supports any of the claims. Yeah. 
And obviously, we're going to be skimming over a lot of this stuff. And feel free to reach out to us if you want us to, you know, elaborate on any of this. But Josh is right. No, no other um, religious scripture or text can can hold up to the to the path the Bible takes. I mean, it is it's amazing, and we're going to see that as we go through the study. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that as our established intro to the Bible and why it can be trusted, um, what would be the first thing that you'd present? Well, one of the first things that comes to my mind is I, I saw an interview once with uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, <laughs> I love him. and uh, Ken Ham. And Bill Nye, for those of you who don't know, he he's not a Christian. He no. He's really kind of very against Christians yeah. and the belief in religious, you know, this and that. But uh, one of the underhanded comments that he kept saying uh, throughout this, this debate was the Bible— um, he kept saying the Bible translated in the English language. He kept mm. saying that over and over. And Nye's insinuation is that the Bible can't be trusted because of the amount of times that it's been handed down and translated through all these years. Mm. 1,500, you know, it, and we said 1,500 years. I, I believe it goes back further than that. Those are just the oldest extant copies that we have. Mm-hmm. But... um Critics have brought up this this idea of like the telephone game where I don't know if you've ever played this, but you you like sit in a circle and you whisper something to the guy next to you. Oh, yeah. And by the time it makes full circle, it's whatever that got whispered initially is completely different. Than, yeah. And that's kind of what they have brought up is like, how can we trust the Bible has been handed down so many times? And you, one might even think that it's been altered a lot. But the amazing thing about this dilemma as more and more evidence comes to the surface, we find that what we have in the Bible is truly astonishing. It is. It's amazing. The Dead Sea Scrolls are a big part of of that talk. And um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the 1940s, in the area we know as the West Bank now, um, a shepherd boy threw a rock in a cave and heard shattering pottery and... In clay jars, we find these ancient manuscripts, and it's they still haven't all been translated yet. But um, before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest complete Hebrew manuscript that we had was dated to about 900 A.D. And included in the scrolls was the Hebrew text of Isaiah in its entirety, dated at around 125 B.C. That's a thousand years older than the oldest copy that we had at the time. And the crazy thing is, this is a quote from Josh McDowell. Gleason Archer states that the Isaiah copies of the Qumran community proved to be word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% of variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. Mm. A thousand year gap. Wow. And it's word for word identical. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, to think that even while we had a great copy of the Bible that we were standing on, we were able to point to in 1947, this, this tiny mishap that would lead to this massive discovery is so cool. It's so mm-hmm. neat. And I just can't help but think that God had those waiting in the wing saying, I'm going to blow your mind, yeah. you know, by bringing this back in and, and allowing this little shepherd boy to, to find these. For sure. You know, that it is so amazing. Um, and, you know, one of the major reasons I think the Bible's been handed down so accurately, too, is 
because of the care taken by those who copied it for the mm. next generation. Um, the Masoretes were some of the scribes that repl- replicated the scriptures and the length they went to ensure the accuracy. Yeah. I mean, it goes beyond, uh, it boggles the mind. They numbered the verses and words and letters of every book and calculated the middle word and middle letter of each. Wow. I mean, and if nothing, if it didn't add up for whatever reason, they were condemned to be burned or buried in the ground. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's an insane amount of effort to make sure that these things got passed down right. It was tedious. They didn't have whiteout. They didn't have backspace. Yeah. I mean, it, if you made a mistake, it was start over. And they knew how precious God's word was. Yeah. And they knew that it had to be, you know, not one jot or tittle. Yeah. And, and I love the story of even... Um, scribes who would transcribe the word of God. And every time they came to the Lord's name, they would actually go and they would bathe and they would get a new pen. Oh, wow. I mean, it was really a thing for them. And, and it was, they, they saw it with such, um, ceremony and such holiness that mm-hmm. they didn't want to, uh, misrepresent. Yeah. This wasn't just a job for them. It mm-hmm. was something they were passionate about. And um, I found this very interesting. They, the Masoretes even had a system in place for accidental errors. They would put in margins on the side where they made any changes for updated language, you know, oh, wow. any notes they made, they made sure and left the original alone with a note for the modern reader to see what was going on. So it's just, it's very fascinating. Yeah. Wow. So the manuscript evidence is a great leg to stand on. I mean, you think yeah. about... Today, there survives more than 25,000 partial and complete ancient handwritten manuscript copies of the New Testament, as well as thousands of copies of the Old Testament. Yeah. Many of them, again, predating the time of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really incredible. I, I often wonder why it's brought up so much, the, the critics that say we can't trust the Bible on manuscript evidence. Mm-hmm. Because it's interesting, it's believed by experts that we have in all essentials the accurate text of the seven extant plays of Sophocles. But the oldest manuscript we have that it's based on is 1,400 years after the poet's death. Wow. 1,400 years. The Bible, 50 years, 100 years, 150 years. 150 years for most of the New Testament. Mm. Fragments, 50 years. So you're telling me that people are going to believe something that was found to be 1,400 years after his death versus 50 years or 100 years after the events that it took place. Exactly. And not just Sophocles, but Homer. You've heard of that guy. Oh, of course. The the time gap on him, 400 years. Herodotus, 1,300 years of time gap. And, and, And they believe that we have accurate, you know, passed down texts from from these massive time gaps, but like you just read the numbers. We have that many um, pieces of evidence of of these manuscripts, and they date within 50 years, 100 years, 150 years. It's insane. Yeah. It's really awesome. It is. It Mm -hmm. is. And I'm so thankful that people went through the painstaking process of preserving them. And then I think, of course, God, through his infinite wisdom and foresight, he saw that we're gonna, we were going to need that. And, yeah. and even in the light of that, there are still people that argue or disbelieve. Yeah. yeah. And um, critics of the Bible, man, they, they swim in an ocean called textual criticism. And I, don't, I know we're not going to get half time in this episode to swim too deep in the waters, but 
I do want to mention um, there is a theory called the documentary theory, mm-hmm. and it's basically insinuating that the Old Testament evolved from previous religious ideas into better and better forms. Wow. Um, this type of evolving seems to be a common avenue among the skeptics. Those who have ears, let them hear on that one. But, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, they basically say um, it's also known as the JEDP theory. Uh, the letter J represents one or more authors who preferred using the divine name of Jehovah, written around 900 to 850 B.C. Uh, the letter E, around 750 B.C., they used the word Elohim for God. The letter D would represent authors who wrote, wrote Deuteronomy. They say it's 621 B.C. And the letter P is for priest who are uh, taught to have written the priestly texts like Leviticus and uh, other priestly parts of the Pentateuch. And what, what they're saying there is basically this was not handed down by God. This was built upon previous religious ideas. And basically they, they say that master editors came around 400 BC and put it into the form that we now have. Now I want to say this, um, there is plenty plenty of evidence supporting Moses as the author of the Pentateuch. And to the listener out there, if you want to reach out to us, I can point you to, me and Josh can point you to peer-reviewed and respected scholarly material that refutes this documentary theory. Mm. I'm not going to get into it because this would be six hours long. Mm -hmm. But um, to just close it out, I I didn't want to skip it because it is a big thing among the critics, but I want to close it out with this quote from Bodie Hodge and Dr. Derry Mortensen. To date, no manuscript evidence of the J document, E document, P document, D document, or any other supposed fragments have ever been discovered. And there are no ancient Jewish commentaries that mention any of these imaginary documents or their alleged unnamed authors. All of the manuscript evidence we have is for the first five books of the Bible, just as we have them today. Mm. End quote. So I wanted to mention that, and I hope I didn't lose you, listener, there, because that man, some of this stuff gets into really deep waters. It does. And we, me, Josh and I are not scholars, but we got to talk about because you're going to hear, if you get on YouTube, if you get on Google, you're going to see people bringing this up. Mm-hmm. And we want you to know that it's it's incorrect. It really is. Yeah. Well, that leads me to ask, how do they contend with archaeological evidence? Because I said, you know, I really do like Bill Nye, the science guy, <laughs> especially a lot of his presentations. But it is so tragic to see someone who takes what is presented and just doesn't believe. And I, I know that's where a lot of people are coming from when they contend. And I meet so many people that believe the Bible is folklore or fantasy. And I'm like, just because it it has things that you don't necessarily understand or God moves because he's the creator in the universe. How do you, um, how do you come to terms with that? Uh, okay. So this is a quote I found from Nelson Gluck that says no archeological discovery has ever controverted overturned a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible, and by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. Yeah. And then another one that says, these are the words of a man who has been credited with uncovering more than 1,500 ancient sites in the Middle East. And that's speaking of, um, again, Nelson Gluck. <laughs> it's just, his name is fun to say. Um, okay, for an example, and we're just kind of going over and over and over, um, because 
one other person said that seemingly assured results of disproving the Bible have a habit of backfiring. Over and over again, the Bible has been vindicated. One of the ways that you could say that that's happened was with King David. Until 1993, not a shred of evidence could be found anywhere outside the Bible that David, the king of Israel during the golden age of Israel, had ever existed. And so it became fashionable in some academic circles to dismiss the David stories as mere invention. Mm -hmm. The critics' verdict was that David was nothing more than a figure of religious and political mythology. While their skepticism regarding David collapsed overnight in 1993 when a nearly 3,000-year-old inscription was unearthed in Israel mentioning David as the king of Israel. This was a tremendous discovery and helped verify the first time outside the Bible that David was an actual historical figure. In light of this discovery, Time Magazine stated, the skeptics claim that King David never existed is now hard to defend. Mm-hmm. Indeed it is. Yeah. And skeptics do that a lot. They they say, they see a random name or a city in the Bible and they're like, well, we've never found that in archaeology. Mm-hmm. But there are countless examples, not just David. Um, think about the Hittites. Uh, for many years, they pointed out that no archaeological evidence supported a people group called the Hittites. But after searching through the remnants of an ancient city in Turkey, German explorers discovered five temples, remarkable sculptures, and over 10,000 clay tablets proving to be the Hittites. Wow. And um, one author writes this about it. Just because archaeology has not produced corroborating evidence today does not mean it cannot tomorrow. The Hittites are just one example in which the Bible has been shown to be historically reliable. Thus, it should be respected despite the present lack of material support for certain events or the chronological problems that remain unsolved. So, the archaeology, I mean, you can only do so much. Yeah. There's war intentions that allow people not to be able to dig. There's there's tons of stuff buried under the sand that hasn't been discovered. You can't just say, you know, well, I've never seen that name before. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it, it's false. There's a lot. Hezekiah's Tunnel Yes, is another biggie. Yeah. Huge. Have you heard of that one? Mm-hmm. I've even had a friend who's walked through Hezekiah's Tunnel a couple of times. That's awesome. That's oh, I'm so neat. jealous. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that's if you read in Second Kings 20 or Second Chronicles 32, you're going to find a. In the here's the crazy thing, it's just a passing mention of this tunnel. What had happened was, you know, Israel was surrounded by its enemies, and in order to survive. Hezekiah had a brilliant idea to tunnel water in so they could survive. And the crazy thing is, like I said, it's a passing mention in the Bible. The type of scripture that could easily have snuck in is an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. But what do you know? This tunnel was actually discovered and an inscription was found on the wall commemorating the making of the tunnel by the people who did it. So it's it's a passing mention in the Bible that actually has, you know, a finding in, in the archaeological record. It's it's amazing. Yeah. What about Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect who was responsible for mm-hmm. um, allowing the death of Jesus on the cross? Everybody thought he was a fake yeah. and he was just a made-up character until the archaeologists were digging in Caesarea and they uncovered a limestone block that bore an inscription in Latin dating back to the early part of the first century that mentioned Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, this one, this one, I, it blew my mind. So the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Yeah. 
um, I've taught it a few times and it's, it's so awesome to teach about the cross and it's very heartbreaking and heart-wrenching to talk about what our Savior went through when he was crucified. But one of the things that I like to just imagine because of how we need to picture things is that Jesus died on a recycled cross. You know, a lot of times when we see the pictures that people make, it's always a beautiful wooden thing. And we we have these pristine crosses on our walls and our houses. But the truth was, is that it was recycled. It was used again because wood was scarce in, in um, Israel. And so the cross that Jesus was crucified on was was cruel and bloody and it had every type of bodily fluid that it could have on it and it was just used over and over again well i never thought of this the nails that were used to nail jesus's hands and feet were also recycled because iron was scarce in that time so critics said that crucifixion with nails never took place in israel in the first century and there was no evidence of a crucified victim that had ever been uncovered in Israel until 1968. It was then that a crew of builders uh, accidentally discovered an ancient Jewish cemetery that contained the remains of several men who were killed during the Jewish revolt against Rome in approximately 70 AD. One of the bone ossuaries contained the skeleton of a young man and inscription of the man's name, which is a cool Jewish name that I'm going to butcher if I try to say it. What stunned the archaeologist most, though, was how this man died. He was put to death by crucifixion with nails. How was that determined? He still had an iron spike driven through his heel bone. The Romans typically removed the nails from their victims. Iron was expensive, but apparently this nail was too difficult to remove. The tip of the nail had been bent backward toward the head likely the result of hitting a knot in the wood. And so the soldiers left it there. And now we have solid archaeological evidence that the Romans did crucify people in Israel in the first century with nails, just like the Bible said. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know this might sound like an overload of information to you, the listener, but it's it's really important to see because anytime you have a, a true work of God, uh, of his message getting to people, you're going to have Satan combating it with critics and people saying this doesn't exist because of this. And so it's it's really amazing to see that God has given us a lot of evidence in archaeology. Um, we, we've got a lot more that we could even go into. I think of the name Belshazzar. Hmm. He was a king mentioned in the book of Daniel that was not included in our list of kings that they thought they had nailed down pretty good. Uh, he's only mentioned in the Bible. And what do you know? They found evidence of, of him uh, in, a, in a unique moment being made king, the son of a king. And uh, the city of Ekron, the city of Nineveh, all of these places and people were doubted by skeptics. And we keep finding more and more evidence. The Amarna letters. There's a ton of different evidences um, in the archaeological record. It's, it's amazing. And if we're skimming over any of this too quickly, please reach out. We will give you our full notes on this stuff Absolutely, if, yeah. if you aren't already too bogged down. Yeah. It's just the list goes on and on and on because yeah. it's real. The Bible can be trusted. It's real. Yeah. So that's archaeological evidence. I think what we can go on now is something that almost is even more amazing or more, more mathematically amazing, that's for sure, and that is prophetic evidence. Yeah. And right before we jump into the prophetic, I want to end with one quote about the Bible real quick by a certain Randall Price. 
He says, in the final analysis, it must be remembered that the Bible itself is our finest example of an archaeological document. While we have only a limited number of archaeological artifacts from the biblical period, the Bible represents the most complete literary record we possess of ancient times, surviving in one form or another since its first books were penned by Moses some 3,400 years ago. It remains the most accurate and trustworthy account of antiquity in the archaeological record. Hmm. So to top archaeology off, the Bible itself, I mean, is is an artifact mm-hmm. in itself. So. Anyway, it belongs in a museum and, and in your hands. <laughs> yeah, nice Indiana Jones. And, and, and <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Fun fact about the Bible, it is the best-selling book of all time, and it is every year as well, which yeah. is a fantastic thing because the more people can get it in their hands, the more that can know the good news. Yeah. The most translated book in all of history as well. It is. And real quick side note before we move on, um, Josh McDowell, he, he records something very interesting. Let me read it real quick. The noted French infidel Voltaire, who died in 1778, declared that in a hundred years from his time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into history. Fifty years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used Voltaire's press and house to produce <laughs> stacks of Bibles. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I've heard that story. That's so cool. Yeah. When the Bible's attacked, it rebounds in strides. Yeah. That's another miracle about it. So anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. So prophecy. Okay. Prophecy. Well, first off, let me just let the listener know that more than one-fourth of the Bible was prophetic at the time that it was written. It includes about 1,000 prophecies. 500 of them have already been fulfilled down to the smallest detail. So the Bible is a book of prophecy, Mm -hmm. and it's important that we look at it because I know in some people's minds, they kind of stray from the topic of prophecy because it it can get, I don't know, I think it just weirds people out. Yeah. But it's so important, and it's a major evidence. Mm -hmm. So, um... I guess let me start off with the Cyrus prophecy. Isaiah 45, uh, 1 through 7, it mentions the name of Cyrus 150 years before his rise to power and describes how God will use him. And that is amazing Mm -hmm. because we actually have this document dated, and they are very certain of when it was written. 150 years before it happens, he calls Cyrus' name out. He's like, this is the guy that's going to go and do these things. And, and it happens. Mm-hmm. And we actually, that's that's tangible stuff right there. Yeah. So I found that, that's a huge one for me. The Cyrus Cylinder is the archaeological um, art, artifact, if you're wanting to know. It unknowingly records the prophecy that God gave Cyrus, uh, a title of honor, even though he didn't know God, and also that the Jewish captives would return home to rebuild the temple and return all the vessels. So um, th- that's a big one right there. Yeah, that all took place with Jeremiah and mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar came in and overthrew um, and then took him captive. And, yeah. you know, people's favorite Bible verse comes from that. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of uh, good and not of evil, you know, plans. And anyway, that's such a fantastic verse. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't understand the context of that was like that was like a trail of tears that the Jewish people were crying as they were heading into a captivity time for 70 years. Yeah, that's true. 
And it's it's awesome to look at if you haven't heard of that one. And let me quote it the right way. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord's thoughts of uh, good and not of evil, plans for a future and a hope. Yeah, that's, that's a that's, great verse. Yes, it is. I just don't want to misquote it. That's the, that's the Josh paraphrase. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so the Cyrus prophecy, that's um, that's a really cool one. And, and also, some of these, I would just throw this out there if you're interested. There's a book called Science Speaks by Peter Stoner, mm. and he goes into the actual mathematical probabilities of these uh, prophecies coming to pass, and, oh, it is fantastic. Yeah. The, the um, next one, the prophecy of Tyre's destruction, he goes, I'm not going to throw out the numbers on that one, but he, he goes over that prophecy. And um, the prophecy of Tyre's destruction, the Bible lays out how it's going to be destroyed. I mean, very, very unique details in what would happen um, to to the point of what's getting thrown in the water while it's happening. Mm. I mean, it's insane how how much actually comes to pass. Wow. So there's there's another one. Um, do you have any, Josh? Yeah. You know, of course, we want to talk about Jesus. Yeah. I mean. And as you look at <laughs> Messianic prophecies... Over 300 were fulfilled through Jesus's life. Yeah. 300 references to the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus's life. And I, I geek out because, I mean, we've met people over the years that love math and love the whole, what this would break down to, mathematicians can talk about. It'd be like, um, for someone <laughs> talking about the, the chances, it'd be like winning the lottery 41 times in a row. That's insane. Yeah. But Josh, it could happen. Which just <laughs> you can't win if you don't play. <laughs> but just that's only with eight of those prophecies, not three hundred. Wow. And okay, I just as a skeptic, if we're to look at this from um, the devil's advocate, is there any way that they could come up and tweak their the writings to make all this work? The, I mean, there are ways that you could sit there and you could you could think, all right, so he, by chance he was born into these prophecies already being fulfilled. Okay. A couple maybe. But as we're going to look in, we're, we got an episode coming up where we're going we're gonna to discuss the idea of was Jesus, did he take advantage of just a couple mm-hmm. that came to pass just by accident and then he became a cult leader? Mm-hmm. You know, no, there's no way. Well, okay, think about this. I mean, you can't even play the game, like you said, telephone, without the message getting garbled along the way. Yeah. And, you know, somebody that I was reading and and researching is, even prophetically, if we were to use a modern prophet, you remember Hillary versus Trump? Mm-hmm. And I, oh, sorry if I'm trigger warning anybody, <laughs> you know, I know <laughs> politics is not part of what we talk about, even though we do need to deal with it as snake birds, mm-hmm. but people down to the day before the election were prophesying, quote unquote, they were predicting that Hillary was our next president with, without even lifting a finger. I mean, it was, it was a done deal yeah. and they were wrong. And that was, you know, with pollsters and people having up-to-date figures and everything. Yeah. And yet here you have somebody like Isaiah who's prophesying all these things. And we find these manuscripts that, that say they're from the time that they're from. Yes. And yet here comes Jesus 
so many years later and it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Absolutely. I mean, people, I, I'm sure you've heard it a ton. People mention Nostradamus. No, Nostradamus. Am I saying that right? <laughs> no, no, Nostradamus. Nostra. Nostradamus. Nostra. Yeah. So <laughs> I hear him all the time, but what people don't realize or even talk about is how many he got wrong. These that Jesus fulfilled, I mean, it's 100% accuracy. Mm -hmm. And you said how many, Josh? I said over 300. Yeah. And then the math works out to just, if you were just to say eight. Yeah. Winning the lottery, how many times on eight? 41? 41. On eight. On eight. Now, if you realize what kind of can of worms you're opening there, just, you know, you want to start being a little bit more... uh, conservative on the numbers just add eight more just Mm -hmm. add eight more just add eight more Mm -hmm. until you get to 300 it's impossible yeah um okay so we're talking about jesus let me did you 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 mentioned isaiah do you have it there are so many prophecies i think what isaiah 53 isn't that yes that's a biggie yeah i don't even have that in my notes do you have that one josh i don't have it here but i can talk about it it's it's incredible yeah it's it's basically Jesus on the cross. It's the suffering servant and what he went through and the parallel between what Jesus went through and what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Yeah. It's mind boggling. It's insane. It is. And and like we said, remember listener uh, at the beginning of the episode, we have a complete scroll of Isaiah found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that date uh, what was it uh let's see oh i'm not gonna get it out it's like one one something bc i mean Mm -hmm. that's at 150 bc i think but that is 150 years before these things would happen to jesus and they are certain that that's the date i mean 100 certain okay just to get a little technological nobody could hack that yeah (laughs) you know there's no going into a database and saying oh i'm gonna age this to look right it (laughs) well you see a later editor yeah Yeah, no it's impossible there's and there's no evidence for that either no um another one that also in this one is actually more damaging um to skeptics than isaiah 53 because of the dating um the the information is still just as 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 amazing but psalm 22 Mm. is another one and I, I was just talking to Josh earlier that every time I read this this scripture, it just breaks me down because it's it's you're literally observing something that is a real miracle before your face. The dating of Psalm 22 was written by David at around 1000 BC. Jesus fulfilled these prophecies in 1 to 33 AD. You know that that time. Uh, I'm just real quick. I'm going to read a couple of isolated verses here. And you just, if you're familiar with the scripture, it ought to hit you too. Mm. (laughs) Verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. I mean, that's just a mic drop moment right there. Because Mm. what did Jesus yell out on the cross? Exactly those words. He he yelled out those words. And people, I've heard people say, I wonder why Jesus said that. I wonder if he really thought God would. That's not the point. Jesus said that so that people would instantly, in the Jewish mind, they'd go, hey, that sounds familiar. They would go back to Psalm 22, and this is what they would read. Mm -hmm. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Think about what the people were saying to Jesus. Verse 9, yet you brought me out of the womb. Verse 10, from birth I was cast on you from my mother's womb. Think about Mary. 
verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Think about gravity on the cross. Mm-hmm. Insane. Verse 15, my mouth is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He turned down the liquid with the pain medication in it. That was one of the sayings from the cross is, I thirst. Yeah. Verse 16, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Tell me when that ever happened to David, listener. David never had his hands and feet pierced. This is prophecy about Jesus. Mm. God put these words on his heart. Verse 17, all my bones are on display. People gloat and stare over me. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Jesus says, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then every single thing thereafter falls into place. Mm -hmm. It just, it it really breaks me down when I read this. It's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just wild. So I can only imagine the pale faces that connected the dots on this Psalm 22 scripture after the crucifixion. Yeah, it's so hard to fathom. And there are a lot of um, prophecies in the Psalms about Jesus, but that one hits home so hard because of how exact it is. Yeah, it gets me. Again, yeah, you could just do hours and hours and hours of research into the prophetic and still, I think, only scratch the surface and hopefully just be sitting there glorifying God. Yeah. Now, I still feel like there's some skeptics who can come against this. And and what if they came and they said, maybe the disciples just made up all the things that Jesus supposedly did. Perhaps they read all these prophecies in the Old Testament and decided to make up an elaborate story about Jesus fulfilling them. You're not going to convince me, but carry on. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, not only is the Bible uh, not only forthright or upright about the mistakes that people have made. I mean, who wants to tell a story and tell all the things that they did wrong in the midst of that? Like Moses committing murder, Abraham doing certain things, David, an adulterer, and then even the New Testament stuff of like Peter falling so short and denying Jesus and Paul, a uh, a staunch Pharisee, and even uh, consenting to the death of so many Christians before he had his, his amazing conversion, his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. What you find is that these men were willing to die excruciatingly painful deaths to tell about Jesus. And I don't believe that they were just making up a story about him. They really believed that he existed. They really believed that he was the Messiah. And they believed that he died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later. To give a modern day example of this, I think of a guy named Charles Coulson. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, the rings a bell, kind of. Well, he served in President Nixon's administration back in the 70s before oh, it was brought down by Watergate. That's where I know him from. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a godless man at the time. Well, he became a Christian after spending some time in prison because of Watergate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's so funny that he, as he was reading the Bible, he really found... Um, the New Testament account of Jesus's resurrection compelling because of the persecution that the disciples endured telling people about the resurrection. And he's quoted as saying this, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me, which is kind of cool to see something like this come out of it. Yeah. Um, How? 
because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? That's absolutely impossible. Oh, wow. From from quite an angle. Yeah. If you think about it, I've heard um, some pastors that I really respect talk about Jesus on the cross, and we're going to bring this up in a future podcast pretty soon. But Mary could have stopped the crucifixion to a degree. She could have been like, he wasn't born of a virgin birth. I was the one that lied. She could have come out and basically said, he's a liar. He's a, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And they would have had to have backed off. Yeah. It's there. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. And that's a really, that's really intriguing. That, that quote, um, by the Watergate dude, what'd you say his name was? <laughs> uh, some people call him Chuck Colson now these days because okay. he kind of got a name, um, but it's Charles Colson from Saul to Paul type of deal. Yes, exactly. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that really is that, that is fascinating. And it's a good point too. Okay, so we've looked at this from a prophetical standpoint. We've looked at it from an archaeological standpoint. And I think one of the last things that we need to look at it is from a biblical standpoint, just remembering what God said. And what God says in Scripture is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every word. And I think it's literally all the men who wrote the Bible, all the individuals who compiled the scripture, that 6640, um, they were moved by the Spirit of God. God literally breathed what he wanted to say into them. Yeah, and then guided the the compilation of all of the, the books that they wrote together. Yeah. Through the whole process. Yeah. And then Second Peter one twenty one says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We've already shown it. We did not get this book on accident. No, there's no way. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of God. It is the Word of God. And it comes through perfectly. And Jesus says, my word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. My word is truth. It's not a book of errors. It's not accidental. It is purposeful, and it is God's heart reaching out to us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's a very broad study that we've done so far, but um, three things that I think should be taken away from this study. Um, number one, the Bible's not just extremely unique, which it is extremely unique. But, I mean... Historically, it tells us what really happened in history long before archaeological evidence confirmed it. Um, and I would say in all the sciences, too, that we, that we didn't even talk about, not just archaeology, geologically, biology, as well as other realms, too, which perhaps in another time we'll, we'll get into. Um, but, two, it, it's extremely unique in its transmission from Moses to the present day, the amazing accuracy and consistency of God's message. Uh, the fact that such differing cultures over thousands of years pointed in unity to one idea. But the Bible is more than unique in its prophecy. And I, we do recognize that this will have to be another podcast, but there are tangible examples proved out through dating 
by even skeptics that the Bible foretells the future, and it has in so many different cases. And I mean, I've always encouraged critical thinking, but I've come to find that the Bible is the only compilation of books that I can read without a filter. Um, It's filtered by God, which is why we base our life on Mm, it. That's so true. Yeah, so it's it, there's a lot here, like we said. Yeah, it was a broad study. Yeah, and we skimmed it. And thank you for staying with us for all this time. Um, those numbers again, if you're writing them down and you're committing them to memory, is sixty six, forty, fifteen hundred three. Yeah, and you know, if you want just the the basis of information, remember those things, and then use. You know, come back to this podcast every so often. Use it as a weapon in your arsenal, as we said at the beginning. And um, if you need more information and you feel like, hey, I didn't get enough on this, or I'd like to find your source or your notes on this, then please reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. Josh and I both have a lot. We we skipped a lot that we could have mentioned. So we we just don't want to be here for three days. So on this one episode, (laughs) so please reach out to us, please. And if this has benefited you, um, don't forget, guys, share us with your friends on uh, social media, whatever platform you're on. And uh, a great way that you can help get this podcast out there is to give us a good rating. So um, remember to do that if if you can. Yeah, and subscribe and then connect with us. Um, If there is a topic that you would like to hear us speak on, um, please send us an email. That email address is connect at beasnakebird.com or you can send us a direct message on Facebook. And we would love to hear from you and interact with you. This is more than just uh, us having a podcast. It's a community and we want to grow that community and you're a big part of it. Yeah. So always remember whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Because the Bible can be trusted and be be a snake bird. bird.